Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, we are thrilled to have Patrick Greenwood on the show. We are driving to Irving, California <laughs> to speak with him and to learn more about his endeavors. So Patrick is a writer, cybersecurity blogger, and his latest book, Shores of Akinawa, has just been published. So welcome, Patrick, to the RV. Thank you for having me on the RV, Lucia. My pleasure. I'm so excited to talk with you because I love talking with authors, of course, and with podcasters. And also, I love California, although yeah. I've never been. In well, a lot of lot of rain. We're getting a, yep, <laughs> a lot of rain, but it's it is beautiful here. Absolutely. Is the temperature fine now for this time of the year? Yeah, 79 degrees pretty much year-round. Uh, it does get cold a little bit, but mostly it's around 79 degrees, yes. Oh, the perfect temperature. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know coffee holds a special place in your heart. Yes, it does. It's no secret that most writers have a deep love for a good cup of coffee. If you had the opportunity to travel to any country solely for its unique coffee culture where would you choose to go and why oh well i've been to vietnam i when my my first book which was sunrise in saigon was written in when i was in vietnam in 2012 uh vietnam is the number two exporter of coffee in the world next to brazil um, so when people talk about, you know, going on a coffee venture or a coffee hit, Vietnam is like number one on my list um, because, it's, again, it's the uniqueness of the of the coffee, the beans. It's also the coffee shops are designed with kind of a French flavor to it. Uh, Portugal is another one. Uh, Cassius, Portugal is one of my favorite cities of the world. Uh, I love the coffee there. And, of course, where you are, Madrid, Spain, cannot forget Spain is excellent coffee as well. But And I think those are the top three. So Vietnam, Portugal, and Spain are my three favorite coffee places in the world. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Vietnam. But mm-hmm. I have to tell you, my favorite coffees are Brazilian coffees, as you told us. Colombian are good as well. But you know, you would not believe. Personally, I have a weakness for Italian coffee, which yes. is not actually made in, in Italy. They are from Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's true. It is Italian coffee is not made in Italy. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but they are delicious. 
So, um, Patrick, can you share with us more about the global causes that your coffee brand supports, such yes. as Helmet for Kids in, yes. in Vietnam? Is that correct? Yes. So I have two. Uh, so my first book, which was Sunrise in Saigon, I always name a benefactor to every book that I write. Uh, and I decided to partner with a, uh, basically an organization called Helmets for Kids in Vietnam, uh, which actually was co-founded by President Bill Clinton in 2000 uh, when he made his first visit there. Um, and that was when the kind of the organization first started the idea of making helmets for children, which is actually kind of over my shoulder. That's actually mm -hmm. one of them. Um, and in 2019, uh, Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh became the global ambassador for Helmets for Kids uh, as well. And I started uh, partnering with them around 2022 when the book was released. And all proceeds of the book, and along with all coffee sales of Sunrise and Saigon Coffee, of course, mug sales and hoodie sales, all the clothing and uh, apparel, all goes to donations to help provide helmets for children. Uh, last year, we provided close to about 400 helmets uh, for kids in Vietnam. So I was uh, really happy to to see the kids wear the helmets and see my logo on the helmet and everything like that as well. Uh, for the next book, which is, as you mentioned, Shores of Okinawa, uh, which is mm -hmm. actually, my apologies, it is actually due out Memorial Day weekend, 2024. Uh, that has a separate a donor uh, and it's actually called Help Oki. So uh, it's a, a nonprofit organization in Okinawa, Japan, that is focusing on trying to make a difference in helping reduce poverty in Okinawa. Um, they're also going to be the benefactor of uh, the proceeds of Shores of Okinawa Coffee, Shores of Okinawa Book, and of course, anything merchandise related to Shores of Okinawa as well. So every book that I write, including the next one I'm working on next year, which is called Sentinel Lotus, uh, that will also have a benefactor as well. So my books really are, are more of what I love to do, um, but for me, it's also a way of helping raise money for global causes as well. Oh, that's so beautiful, Patrick. I had goosebumps. Yeah, just to see. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that you could get 400 <laughs> helmets for kids. And what makes these causes so important to you? Well, when I was in Vietnam in 2012, I originally went for a cycling event. Uh, I'm a global cyclist as well, so I've cycled in different countries. Uh, I was in Vietnam to go cycling. And I was in one of the outlining districts uh, in, in Ho Chi Minh City, uh, one of the kind of far districts kind of in the, in the poor areas. And I saw a lot of children that were on bikes and they were having to contend with uh, 8 million scooters and cars on the roads. And a lot of these kids were getting sideswiped or getting knocked, you know, into the you know, different places. None of them had helmets. Um, and that was when I really started digging into helmets for kids going, there has to be some program here that's funding it. And that's when I stumbled upon Helmets for Kids for Vietnam. So I witnessed firsthand children that were cycling that, you know, either got knocked over or they got, you know, pushed aside or whatever, and they just tumbled. And, you know, to see that, it's like, wait a minute, why are they not wearing a helmet? Um, and so that's what kind of motivated me to to get behind that that, that particular cause. Uh, in Okinawa, when I wrote Shorts of Okinawa, I was stationed there as a Marine in the 1980s. So I remember vividly you know, the poverty uh, in the island. It is one of the poorer parts of Japan. Um, and to come across helpoki.org as a as a charity to sort of help reduce poverty in Okinawa, we um, really took to my heart. Um, so that, that's why I've named them as well. But uh, every benefactor I have, I want to have this personal connection with. So in the next book, I'll, I'm sure I'll find a, a charity that I'll work with that I can you know, relate to. Uh, but both of them are from personal experience. 
uh, I, I got to witness the kids with the helmets and obviously, you know, the poverty in Okinawa as well. But that's why I wanted to partner with them in order to give them the proceeds. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I can imagine seeing kids without helmets like on the street. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have it here in California. Kids are riding their electric bikes now and a lot of them do not have helmets. And I kind of look at them and go like this signaling to them and they just kind of wave me off. And I wish they do have a helmet law. I, I think they will eventually have a helmet law in the United States that any 16 year old riding an electric bike needs to have that helmet. Some do, some have a helmet, but they have their cell phones while they're riding doing this. It's like, oh, please. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. Yes. Yes. Patrick, let's talk about your writing career. I'm curious to know when you first realized that you wanted to become a writer. Well, I, as you mentioned in the pre-call, um, I had been dyslexic my whole life since I was a kid. Um, so writing was not something that was really high on the list of people around me. They said, there's no way you can write. You can't even read. You can't do any of these things. Um, but I've always wanted to write. I always saw it as a challenge to say, God, if one day if I ever became a writer. But because of battling dyslexia for so many years, you know, and not having kind of the support system of how to cope with it, it wasn't until I got into my adult life when I started finding ways to write better, read better, uh, you know, be able to retain words better and things. So I, I learned different ways of going through that. Uh, it wasn't until 2022, actually, um, when I retired from the technology space, I was a cybersecurity specialist for many years. And I just said, I just don't want to do that anymore. I'm finally going to become a writer full time. So I started writing blogs for technology companies as sort of like a side project eventually became, you know, the, the career writing that I'm doing today. But I also had this manuscript sitting in the drawer called Sunrise in Saigon that I started writing 2013, 2014, kind of put it aside for a couple of years, took it out again. And finally, in, in around 2021, 2022, it's, it's got to come out. This has got to get published. So that's when I really wanted to bring the book out. But the creating blogs for clients with dyslexia and still being relevant to them even two years later, it's been a dream come true for me. Uh, I write for seven clients today, a wide variety of subjects from artificial intelligence all the way up to blockchain to cryptocurrency to email security. Uh, but for me to, to pr produce a blog that is published is, is, a, is a great milestone. And I run into writers all the time that come on my podcast that are dyslexic or ADHD or whatever. And, and they never let that hold them back. They, like you, they, it's, it didn't hold you back from being the success that you are today, Lucia. And I'm not only very proud of you, but I'm proud of all the writers in our community that have overcome, you know, obstacles. And dyslexia was always my obstacle. And But every day I publish a blog, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a ladder up. It's a ladder up on life. When my next book comes out, it's another ladder of life I'm climbing. Um, but I've always wanted to write. But by listening to the noise, people tell me, no, you shouldn't, no, you shouldn't. When you eventually stop listening to that is when you feel like you've overcome. Yeah. Actually, I've heard of some writers who rely on voice recordings to avoid having to write all the time. Is this something you also do or? I just, I literally write it out. I'll, 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 I'll proofread it four or five times. Um, I don't use artificial intelligence. I don't use ChatGDP to write. I write original content, which is really in our day and age, in our industry, a lot of people have turned to ChatGDP to write for them, um, but that's not original content. So I write all original. Now, 
truth be told, I will probably edit the document four times um, in order to make sure that I, I get it right. I put it through spell check and grammar check and everything else. But I still, at the end of the day, when I produce the document, it's, it is a great read. It makes sense. It's got all the technical knowledge they have in my head. Um, but I've had to overcome spelling, structure problems, you know, the sentence structure is not being correct, paragraphs not aligned, but I've overcome all of that. Um, and I, I love the fact that when someone says, I want you to write a blog about the board of directors of a new corporation. Wow. Okay. I got this. I got this. Um, and it, it, and I, and I love to inspire other writers to say, yeah. don't let any of your hangups block you, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is very inspiring. And about your book, um, Patrick, shores of okinawa am i speaking is yes, absolutely beautifully beautifully thank you is the second installment in the check candle series yes. yes so with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What inspired the plot of this novel? I know you worked with cyber security yeah. and i was reading about this book and you it's like you delve into cyber terrorism yeah so um great question so the jack kendall series started with uh, sunrise in saigon which is kind of romantic thriller that i wrote um, a lot of people that have read it have said, is this an autobiography? I'm like, no, <laughs> that wasn't me boring. <laughs> but um, there are some elements of, of fiction and nonfiction in my first book. Um, but it does it does tail end at the end of the book and brings up a, a, a terrible adversary called Travis Jones, who is a global terrorist that has this plot in order to try to assist China in hacking Taiwan. And that's how short, that's how kind of you know Sunrise and Saigon ended. It was sort of this lead in. So Shores of Okinawa picks up where Jack is now, you know, moving on to his life. However, behind the scenes, this terrible adversary is working in secret with the Chinese government to say, look, I may have a way to hack Taiwan, and you guys will never take the blame for it. And I've got this hacker group in Vietnam, I've got these terrorist guys up here in Taiwan, I've got these people in Japan. And it really takes the theme of how countries really hack each other. So we talk about, are we at war with China? Are we at war with Taiwan? Well, let me tell you, we've been at war with Russia for years. It's all been cyber, yeah. right? Not the bullets and the rockets flying, but it's the cyber 
hacking that's been going on for years. So the book picks up on the narrative of China's trying to find a way to overtake Taiwan, but why not try to do it through cybersecurity instead of doing it through bombs? And Travis Jones got this master plan. It's called Operation Dragon Bolt. And this idea of stealing all this information from Taiwan under their noses. Jack Kindle comes to the rescue along with Forrest Adams and a few other characters that have been introduced to find a way to stop it. And they had to lean on another criminal organization, the Yakuza in Japan, to say, hey, we need your hackers. And so in that book, I introduced this idea where criminal organizations also have a hacker team. And so does the triads and so does the Colombians. And so it brings the light this, you, you, everybody knows about the criminal organizations of the world, like the mafia and the others, but they don't realize that they also have hackers too. And so they loan them out. They, they lease them, they rent them out. And Jack goes, we may need to get some really bad guys to go after some really terrible guys. So the story picks up on that whole transnational you know, cyber terrorism and country against country and the secrecy of war that goes on between the cyber hackers and so on. And where sometimes hackers have a loyalty to say, yeah, maybe we'll help them, right? And so it kind of picks up along that line, um, but it has a powerful ending, wonderful ending, um, but it also leads into the next book in the Jack Kindle series, which is called The Sense of the Lotus, which will come out next year. But for people that love cyber terrorism, they love and understand cybersecurity, they want to understand hacking. A lot of the people that read the early the early PDF of it have said, okay, how much of this is true? You were in cyber for 28 years. I'm like, I was going to ask. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, not going to say. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no. No disclosures. Um, but when, when people do read it, they do come back and say, okay, please tell me, was this real? I don't know. Maybe, you know, but you have to wait. You have to read the book to find out. So it's kind of that your book blends fiction with real world events. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so, Patrick, how do you strike a balance between authenticity and creative storytelling when incorporating this element into your narrative? Beautiful question, Lucia. Beautiful question. Um, I was always deeply inspired by the author Tom Clancy. When he wrote The Hunt for Red October, and when you watch that movie and see Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery in that movie, and you're going, did this really happen? Well, if you see the beginning of the movie, Tom Clancy puts this little blurb up on the screen saying, you know, in 1995, a Soviet submarine got lost off the coast of Nova Scotia, or did it really happen? Right. And so he's taking this possible real world possibility and making a fictional story out of it. But yet it, he used real submarines, real ships, real Navy, Russian Navy, Russian captains. And you're just shaking your head going, did this really happen? I wanted to have that same effect when I wrote Sunrise in Saigon. I wanted people to walk away going, dude, 50 to 50-50, 70-30, 80-20, you know. And I just smile and say, it's up to the reader to figure that out. Yeah. And it, it's but I, I loved how Clancy did that. I, I know that, you know, James Patterson does that as well. Dania Seal did that when she did Message from Nam. When you read these books, you're going, it's it's like the, the story isn't being done in a historical backdrop of the mm -hmm. fall of Saigon or a Soviet submarine sinking in the Atlantic. That probably did happen. So he's taking something that probably did happen and made it into a fictional storytelling, um. right? And he does it brilliantly. And I and I so I'm inspired by that. So when you read Shorts of Okinawa, you're going to read these things like Japanese Yakuza, mm -hmm. triads. Oh my God, they hate each other. They hate each other, but at the same time, they also partner with each other. So um, 
and and that could be a fiction nonfiction piece of it. So it again, it, it, the nice thing is it leaves it up to the reader to read the book and go through and say, "Whoa, if this half of this is true, man, <laughs> I'm scared to death." It's like, well, yeah, there are some... so many things that we have yes. no idea. Exactly, and that's yeah. where I wanted to add a little fiction nonfiction blend to it for sure. Sounds amazing, Patrick. I have a question about cybersecurity for you. Mm -hmm. What are some emerging trends or challenges that you foresee in the field of cybersecurity? Mm -hmm. And how do you believe they will impact the future of digital security measures? For example, nowadays with AI, I, mm -hmm. I saw an interview And I had I, I thought it was a the real a real person talking yes. actually yes. with Trump. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> so how do you believe these things will impact the future of digital security measures? So what you're referring to is deep fake. And and deep yes. fake is by far the If I had to highlight, two, and I wrote this actually in several blogs for my clients, 2024 is the year of deep fake. Everything relating to the U.S. elections, to the European elections, to the Olympics in Paris coming out, the Taylor Swift concert in Japan, um, everything you can possibly imagine, there is an element of, is this real? Is this the person? Is that Donald Trump's voice? Is that President Biden's voice? Is that President Barack Obama's voice? Um, you, don't, you just don't know. Uh, and in one piece I wrote recently about this, I wrote it as a bottom piece or the excerpt of the end of the ending of the blog that said, who is ultimately responsible for validating deep fake? Is it CNN? Is it Fox News? Is it Sky News? Mm -hmm. Who's responsible? And it ultimately is going to come down to them deciding on what content they're going to put across social media like Facebook and Twitter, right? What responsibility do they have to validate content before content is even put out there? And I think this year, when people see deep fake, like Donald Trump coming on to a news program, and it's not him, it's a picture, but a different body, a different voice, and he says, I'm dropping out of the election, that has rippling effects on who do we trust? So you can associate the biggest hacks of 2024 with basically an attack on people's trust. I don't trust Amazon anymore because I got a fake shipping label. I don't trust eBay because I never did a bid on that particular thing. My bank just sent me a, a bank statement. I don't have a bank account there. These are all frauds that are happening right now. So we are going to see AI completely become everywhere and everywhere, but it's already starting to make money for the criminals while corporate industry is still trying to find a way to harness its capabilities. So they're spending billions trying to figure out AI where the criminals have already started making billions on AI. So it literally just took off with no guardrails, no idea of what we want it to be. And it could very well burn out. It could burn out before we even see the true value of it, or it becomes such a horrible criminal tool that it's going to get outlawed and banned as well. So it is definitely, but deep fake to your question, deep fake yeah. is going to be the biggest thing this year for sure. And I think about banks, the banks as well. Yes. Imagine yes. You, you lose your bank account. That's correct. So we need to read your book also to find out what <laughs> real yes, or is not. <laughs> yes. A lot of it, a lot of the stuff in the book when people read it. Well, I, I wrote it in a way in which is not too high tech. Mm. And I, I, I did that intentionally because I wanted everyone to enjoy the read. 
Um, it has not as much romance as the first one did. This one really gets to the heart of the theme, the cybersecurity, cyberterrorism piece to it. But it shows a lot of camaraderie, even among bad people. It shows camaraderie among them. It shows camaraderie among good people working together. It shows countries working together, mobilizing themselves. And I think today we need more books that really bring that people do get along. That people do have a way of collaborating, that people can set aside their political differences to say, you know, for the good of whatever, we're going to do this. And that's kind of the underlying theme of the book as well, is that it does have kind of that people working together regardless of their backgrounds. So it has a very diverse theme as well, which I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. Great. And Patrick, as a fellow podcaster, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about your show, what kind of guests? you you have there well thank you i, I appreciate that lucy it's your you have an amazing show as well by the way and i'm honored to be on your show uh, being a fellow podcaster writers on writers over triple espresso started uh about a year and a half ago uh it was a, a platform that i created on youtube uh, on, on other channels as well to, to give writers the ability to come out and promote their work um i don't charge people for the show whatsoever it's all free. Um, but as a way in which when I was first getting into writing, I didn't know a lot of writers. Most of my background was cyber, you know, yeah. cybersecurity. So for me to go out and meet writers, I created this forum where I now got to meet writers to come on the show. So I, I host on Wednesdays and Saturdays, Pacific, 10 Pacific AM on, on West Coast time. And I got everybody from, you know, fiction writers, romantic writers, People have written memoirs, a Korean international exchange student who did an amazing book on her first book that came out, Place to Take Root by Eugene Kim. Um, you know, and then Jim Flynn, wonderful golfer, great guy, lives in the Connecticut area. He writes some of the funniest novels, uh, books on golf and everything. Um, and then G.S. Jerry writes tremendous books on sort of his life and selling his home. All these writers I got a chance to not only meet virtually, but I, when I took up my book tour last year, I spent seven months on the road. I got to meet a lot of these writers that I met through the podcast. I drove around like all around the country. I stopped in Oklahoma to see Amy Lee. You know, I went all the way into Florida to see a bunch of people, went up north to Connecticut to see Jim, hung around the D.C. area where I, my parents were. So I got to physically meet the people that I met through the podcast. And, and everyone was very wonderful, gracious, and, it was just, and they became really good friends. And they all mentioned that, hey, this was really a great way for me to market so Writers on Writers over Triple Express so really became an open form of civic. You got 30 minutes, promote your book. If not, I got a cover. The other thing I do too to support our community, I buy everybody's book that comes on the podcast. So everyone's like, let me ship you a book. I said, don't bother. I got it. It's my way of supporting our community. So I purchase everybody's book and I always leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads for everybody that comes on the podcast. So it's sort of my contribution to our community. But since I've done it, I just broke 127 episodes as well. My goal is to obviously hit 200 by the end of the year. Um, but it's great to meet people that are like, they're so proud of what they've done. They've, they're so proud of the books they've created or the book series they've done. They always have smiles. Um, it's like your show, very organic. You just sort of lay it out there and it's wonderful. But no, I, I'm I'm very happy. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. Um, but it most importantly, it does get writers like ourselves, a venue to say, here's what my book is all about. And here's how I'm marketing it. And I'm looking forward to writing my next book. And it's so wonderful to see their smiles too. Yes, I agree with you. For me, interviewing authors <laughs> and creatives is yes. a is a wonderful experience. It is. It's, it's so good. Like 
we we learn so much with each other at least i learn a lot from from my guests and i hope i can drive all around the world and interview authors like you patrick forever thank you no and you have a beautiful podcast and it's my honor to be here today but thank you for having me as well Likewise, Patrick. Looking ahead, you told us that you are going to publish the next book of the series. So what are your long-term aspirations as a writer, podcaster, and entrepreneur? Well, let's start with uh, the book. So the next book after uh, Shoresville Canal is called The Scent of the Lotus. Um, it is really a pre- pre-date book of the first book, Sunrise and Saigon. There was two characters in the first book, Forrest Adams, who was the CIA station chief in, in Vietnam, and then uh, Miss Bui or Fong Bui, who actually is the hotel manager of the hotel that Jack stayed in in Saigon. And this next book, it talks about how they met, how, how Forrest and Bui met. And the backdrop was that Forrest was stationed in Vietnam at the end of the war in 1975, and he was a 17-year-old Marine, and Bui was a street orphan living in Saigon. And as the fall of Saigon happened around April 30th of 75, she attempted to try to jump over the fence to try to get into the U.S. Embassy. And Forrest, being a a young Marine guard, tried to grab her and save her. And he got pulled back by his captain. She got pulled back by the crowd. And they made this eye contact of desperation to want to connect with each other. Um, She falls to the ground. He falls to the ground. And a young priest, who was, by the way, featured in Sunrise in Saigon, Father Flanagan, picks her up and says, go to the cathedral, which is the Notre Dame Cathedral in Saigon. He turns to the Marine in the book and says, she'll be at the cathedral. So the whole story of, 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 of Senator Lotus is his 30-year journey to try to get back to Vietnam to find Bowie. I need to read number one. Yeah, the, yes. the first one to understand. Yeah, so it, it, there's a preamble to it, but it does take me back from here I went pure cyber terrorism, technology, little romance. Now Central Lotus takes me back to my romantic genre a little bit. Romance always, at least a little bit. <laughs> I agree, I agree. Um, but going, going, doing, doing that in that one. But that's that's the 2000 now. The, the book will be released on April 30th, 2025, which is the 50th anniversary of the fall of Saigon. So my my goal is because the book centers around the fall of Saigon, I want the book to come out on the 50th anniversary of that. So that's going to be on the book side. Uh, the podcast, Writers and Writers, I hope goes on forever. I, I hope to hit 200 broadcasts this year. Um, I'm excited. I'm having writers from all over the world coming on. I've had editors, they've had musicians, I've had the publishers come on. Uh, so that's a. I just want to keep that going and keep doing some wonderful things. From a coffee perspective, every book's going to have a coffee. Every book's going to have a mug. Uh, and all proceeds are going to go to the benefactors of the, of each book. So uh, when I launch the um, Shoresville Canal on, on Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to have a big coffee sale, a big book sale, you know, mug sale as well. And then again, proceeds will be going to help support, you know, help Oki uh, as well. These are amazing plans for 2024. Yeah. And would you like to leave a message for our listeners today? Yes. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening on the podcast today. Uh, if you want to stay in contact with me and check out my books and everything else, uh, CycleWriterLLC.com is my main website. Um, if you're interested in checking out the coffee and merchandise, it is CycleWriter, the number three, Expresso.com uh, is the coffee and merchandise site as well. And then Shores of Okinawa Novel.net uh, is the actual book website, and along with the uh, book trailer, movie trailer as well. Are your books on? Amazon Kindle as well. We can 
also have the ebook paperback yes. Absolutely. So all the, the actually uh, Sunrise in Saigon is on Audible, it's on Kindle, it's on hardback paperback. And when uh, Shores of Okinawa releases on Memorial Day weekend, uh, it'll be released in paperback and Kindle first. And then the audiobook will probably be released around the August timeframe. Patrick, you are such a wonderful guest, uh, super easy to speak, to talk. <laughs> and I, I just want to tell you that I am going to read one of your books to start number one Thank and you. also i would love to go back to california to interview you again and learn more about this new book absolutely i love when you come this way i love to have you definitely like to do a live podcast maybe i'll have you on my podcast and we'll do a live broadcast that would be very cool i will be super happy to to have another conversation with you and the other side of the conversation so patrick keep doing these amazing amazing things you are doing Thank you, Lucia. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And it is an honor to be here. And you're a wonderful host and you're very easy. And I, I got to tell everybody, you got to come on your podcast. This is such a beautiful broadcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist, relating does. Until next time. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.